Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. When I uh, did a quick poll of some pastor friends, I learned that pretty much nobody preaches from the book of Esther. (laughs) And having now written uh, this sermon, I think I understand why not. The book of Esther presents peculiar challenges. First, you have to find it. It's wedged in between Nehemiah and Job. And then there's the fact that the text makes no mention of God, none whatsoever. It uh, also doesn't mention standard biblical topics like scripture or worship or commandments or covenant. Still, many of our Jewish brothers and sisters know this text very well because the entire book of Esther is interactively recited every year to celebrate the holiday of Purim. Regrettably, we don't have time this morning for a full reading, but thinking that many of you may be as unfamiliar with this book as I was, I am going to give a quick overview of the story before I read today's passage, which is the climax of the book. The story is set during the rule of King Ahasuerus, a wealthy, lazy, excessively privileged despot who considers women to be entertainment, flagons without restraint. And in the midst of this drunken partying, the king summons Queen Vashti in order to show off her beauty. Vashti says no. Her defiance of the male-dominated status quo leaves all those male leaders feeling that their power is so threatened that they push King Ahasuerus not only to exile Vashti forever, but also to write an official letter in every language of the realm and disperse it throughout the entire empire from India to Ethiopia, declaring that, quote, every man should be master in his own house. So Vashti is banished, the letter is sent, and the foundation for the story is set. Well, once the king sobers up, he wants a new queen, and so he conducts a beauty pageant, eventually choosing young Esther to be queen. Now, Esther is an orphan who's been raised by her kinsman Mordecai. They are Jewish, but Esther follows Mordecai's suggestion not to mention that fact anywhere in the king's household. Meanwhile, Mordecai infuriates the king's deputy, Haman, by refusing to bow to Haman. So Haman, knowing that Mordecai is a Jew, suggests to the king that an order be given to massacre all the Jews. And King Ahasuerus blithely agrees, just scheduling genocide on a whim. Mordecai tells Esther that she must use her position to save her people, but she replies that she can't. It's forbidden on pain of death for anyone to approach the king without being sent for. 
To which Mordecai responds with the one well-known phrase from the book of Esther, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. So Esther concocts a plan, dares to approach the king, and invites him along with the evil deputy, Haman, to a party she will give. And now a reading from the book of Esther, starting with verses from the seventh chapter and then moving to verses from the ninth chapter. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold simply as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace, but no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king said, lo, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, enjoining them that they should year after year celebrate the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same month as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a pretty wild story, huh? And yes, the whole Grimm's fairy tale meets graphic novel feeling of this peculiar material continues through that dramatic turn of events in which wicked Haman is executed on the very gallows that he'd erected for righteous Mordecai. And you should know, in the verses that today's reading skips over, the reversal of fortunes expands exponentially as the Jewish people instead of being massacred, rise up and slaughter their would-be killers. So it's not only the fact that God is not mentioned that makes this story feel so very secular. And yet, this peculiar text 
replete with sexual exploitation and revenge killings, as well as the apparent absence of God. This peculiar text has, by the mysterious power of the Holy Spirit, been elevated to Scripture. We are to understand it as part of God's Word to us. And so I want us to take seriously how it might be addressing the church today. Today, we are overrun with reasons to wonder if God is absent from the world. In fact, if you're worshiping online, please note in the comments, and if you're here in the sanctuary, please raise your hand if you have ever wondered, is God somewhere in all of this? Yeah. Over the past 18 months of COVID time, heck, over the past one month of wildfires and hurricanes, a pandemic that keeps surging, the unraveling of Afghanistan, the most dire scientific warnings yet regarding the climate crisis, I'm sure that many of you have thought, is God somewhere in all of this? I know I have, a lot. So this book of the Bible that tells a wild story without ever referencing God seems appropriate for, as Mordecai put it, such a time as this. And that verse, by the way, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. That is generally viewed as being the closest we get to any suggestion of God's providential presence in this story. But rather than objecting to that lack, maybe God's apparent absence is actually a strategic blessing of this text because it validates our own struggle to find God in our own challenging reality. And once you spend time with this wild story, you do start to conclude that God is present in it after all. I mean, Injustice and unrighteousness, malice, and just plain stupidity do not prevail. Instead, the courage to act on behalf of others actually carries the day. The meek do inherit as the cruel and privileged are toppled. Innocent, at-risk lives are saved. Good prevails over evil. And when God's chosen people celebrate that their circumstances have been turned, as the text puts it, from sorrow into gladness. They celebrate by building community with one another while reaching out to the poor. Through the eyes of faith, all of that sure looks like evidence of God's providential presence and active agency. God need not be named to be at work through individuals who use their gifts and influence to do good. God need not be named to be at work through Esther or through Mordecai. For that matter, who's to say that God was not at work through Vashti when she said no to further exploitation? So in our reality today, when it can seem like God is absent, who's to say that God is not at work through people with the courage to do the right thing. Might God not be at work through us? Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but Vashti and Esther had the gift of extraordinary beauty, and each in turn was made queen, so she had power. 
But we, too, have gifts, and we, too, have our sphere of influence. So, ask yourself, what gifts or power do I have? That right there, church, may be the holy question this text is meant to provoke. And as I pondered it this week, I came up with quite an array of examples just within this room. For starters, there's my colleague, Jeffrey, whose service here at Covenant for nine years and counting is just part of how God has used the power of Jeffrey's giftedness. The Voices of Note website puts it this way. In 1981, a time when the gay rights movement was just gaining momentum, founding artistic director Jeffrey McIntyre and 45 talented and brave singers came together to form the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus, an ensemble of the highest musical quality that nurtures its members and educates its community toward understanding, compassion, and inclusiveness. God is not named in that paragraph, church, but surely God was at work in that endeavor. I also think of Sue Colusi, who is not only today's liturgist, Sue also possesses the gifts and power of connections and compassion, familiarity and expertise within the maze that is refugee resettlement. As Covenant seeks to help with the rising crisis of Afghan refugees, I'm certainly willing to say that God will be working through Sue for such a time as this. And it's not just individuals. I think of our youth group who earlier this year, spurred by the gift that is empathy, collected donations from all of you to assist young people who are experiencing homelessness. Surely God was at work through those whose tender age may sometimes cause their power to be discounted. So, seriously, consider your giftedness and your power. Consider our shared giftedness and power, covenants giftedness and power. I think that's what Heather is capitalizing on with our 30 Days of Kindness Challenge. She knows the goodness and generosity of this community of faith, and she's channeling that into this mission project. Church, God's providential presence and active agency is at work in the world even now. God is willing and able to work through each of us, to work through all of us, to deploy us as individuals and as a faith community for such a time as this. In fact, in every time, God has endowed people with gifts and power to be used in God's service. We do not need to be made a queen. In today's gospel reading, Jesus taught that a little child is a means by which God can be welcomed. Whoever, whatever we are, God can work through us. We, as individuals and as the body of Christ, we have the gifts and power for such a time as this. We, like Esther, can use the gifts and power God has given us for the sake of this world that God so loves. Because even when unnamed, 
God is at work through people using their gifts and influence to do good. Our hope and cooperation can help move the world beyond this pandemic. Our generosity and hospitality can welcome the strangers in need. Our individual and corporate actions can mitigate climate crisis. Let us please be part of what God is deploying even now for such a time as this. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.